You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. I'm going to get into our message this morning. We've been talking about uh, the teachings of Jesus, and we're looking at the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 5. So if you turn there, we'll just kind of go there together. And we've been just looking at different teachings from him in his introductory address. He's kind of letting people know uh, what he's about and what it takes to follow Jesus. And his teachings uh, deal with one's character and personal morality. And each time he teaches, he refers to an Old Testament uh, commandment, and then he applies a New Testament principle to it. And Jesus wanted to make sure that we understood the heart and spirit behind the commandment and why God gave that commandment in the first place. And he's calling us to a deeper spiritual commitment. Now this morning I want us to take a look at this passage of Scripture. It's going to be verses 21 through 26 of Matthew chapter 5. So if you if, our, if you can, just go ahead and turn there and just kind of hold your place there because we'll get to that in just a minute. But we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about murder. Now, most people understand that murder is wrong. But Jesus takes it a step further and doesn't just talk about murder. He talks about anger. And the things that follow anger. A person may never commit murder, but you can be guilty of malice. You may never murder a person, but an angry person might assassinate the character of someone they don't like. They might speak evil of them behind their backs or kill their chances at a job or a promotion. This isn't murder, but it's malice. Now, there is a difference between murder and malice. Murder is the premeditated act of taking the life of another. And so anytime you might see this in the news or if it goes to court, uh, murder has to be determined as to whether or not this was a planned and premeditated act on the person that committed the crime. So that has to be determined. But malice is the desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another. Both are motivated and moved by anger, hatred, or the desire for revenge. And Jesus warns us, and what makes this unique is that we're like, yeah, yeah, don't murder. Most of us get it. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to take it a step further that malice and murder are just as bad as one another. Let's be honest. People can make us mad sometimes. Sometimes they do it on purpose, just to see if they can get a rise out of you. Whether it's the rude person that you talk to in customer service, who speaks before they even listen to what you have to say, or the individual who could care less about you or their job when you go into their office. You go into their office to get something resolved. They make you stand there. They ignore you. And then when you talk to them, they could care less about the job they're doing. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little upset. 
Maybe it makes you angry too. Or the family member who always likes to start arguments at family gatherings, whether he's talking about controversial issues or off-color jokes or starts talking about politics. And sometimes they just enjoy either expressing their opinion to a captive audience or just stirring things up. Or the friend or coworker that no matter how hard you try to help them, they constantly take you for granted. You've talked to them. You've tried to help them. You've done things for them. And in spite of that, they just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And frustration builds and it lends itself to anger. Or perhaps the coworker at your job that keeps making it harder and putting roadblocks in front of everything that you do. I'm not even talking about the serious stuff that makes you angry. But anger doesn't just simply come out of nowhere. It has to begin somewhere, and there's deep roots to anger, especially if you're angry a lot. Because you can be kind of angry and occasionally angry, but if you have someone that's angry a lot, there is anger that they don't even know why they're angry, but there's something behind it. There's a root cause, and there's things that contribute to it. What are some of the things that can contribute to anger? Well, firstly, is frustration. We experience setbacks in life, whether it's in your health, whether uh, you've been going through different things, you've, you've tried to get ahead in your job and you keep getting set back, or maybe there's things that you used to be able to do and you can't do anymore. Maybe there's things that you're finding frustrating with your job. When frustration comes into our life, if we experience enough frustration, it kind of leads us to being on edge and angry a lot of the times. Trauma is another Example: When you've been through a traumatic life experience, whether it's a bad accident, a death, an unexpected tragedy, one of the symptoms of PTSD is irritability. You just get mad and you don't know why. And part of the reason behind that is the feeling of helplessness or uselessness when you thought you could have done something about the situation and you couldn't. So, for example, if you work in emergency services and you are working on someone, maybe you're performing CPR and you're doing all the things that you can to be able to save their life and they end up dying anyway, there's a sense of frustration that goes along with that and irritability that I could have done something. I could have done something more. If you've lost a family member, Sometimes you say to yourself, well, did we do everything we could have done in that situation and could have gone differently if we had only done this? Sometimes we don't even know why we're just on edge all the time. But really, when we've gone through trauma, when we've experienced loss, there are times we walk around and we're just mad and we don't even know why. And part of the reason is because of what we've been through. Another trigger for anger is hurt. When you've been hurt by others, there's a temptation to become jaded and to live life cynically. Maybe you used to believe for the best in people, but life has shown you differently. And now that you're angry because you've wasted time 
and energy and emotion trying to help people and they just end up hurting you. Or perhaps you started out life with a genuine uh, naive innocence when it came to relationships and you thought that this person could be the one that you marry and then they end up cheating on you or breaking your heart or being abusive and then all of a sudden you begin to think twice about relationships and begin to believe differently about whether or not people have their best intentions for you. So sometimes hurt breaks us and it causes us to become angry with the world and those who have hurt us. Unresolved issues can cause anger too. Things that might be missing from your life. Maybe you didn't have both parents growing up. Maybe you were constantly struggling for love and recognition from your parents. Perhaps they never paid you a compliment. Maybe everything that you did wasn't good enough and when that happens it can have an effect on you and it can make you harbor bitterness and resentment. Let's be honest. Life will make you angry. But what we do with that anger is what God is truly concerned about. Take a look at Matthew 5, 21 through 26. It says that Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Wow. You read that one, you're like, okay, this just got interesting. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Now, it's a very interesting few verses, and within those few verses, there's a lot in there. Jesus said, you have heard it said, contrasting with what the Pharisees have said, with the true intent of what God's commandment means that whoever commits murder shall be guilty of the judgment. Now, biblical scholars tell us that there were three judgments here that a Jew feared. Now, when it says the judgment, there's no uh, mis, uh, missed grammar here. This is not uh, being copied down wrong. When it says you're guilty of the judgment, the judgment was that in every city in Israel, there was a court of seven men or elders of the people that were established to judge matters. And the penalty of murder was death. You commit murder, you were guilty, and uh, the penalty that was uh, appropriated to you was death, according to Old Testament law. And these courts would judge your situation, and they would sentence you to death, either by strangulation or stoning. Now, that sounds pretty bad, right? So, like, if you're worried about the judgment, the judgment is a kind of a serious thing. 
So Jesus is saying, okay, according to the Old Testament, murder means your life for another person's life. If you commit murder, then you will suffer the penalty, which is your own life for theirs. But Jesus takes it a little further. The second uh, judgment was the council. Now this was a council of 72 priests and rulers of the people. This was the Sanhedrin that was overseen by the chief priests. And they had the power to sentence someone to death. So if you remember when Jesus was accused, he was sentenced before the Sanhedrin. And they listened to matters of national importance. And they would judge you according to what you did. And they would appropriate a, crime, appropriate a punishment for your crime. And many times they had the power to sentence someone to death. The third judgment is hellfire. This is being the third, and unlike the two previous judgments that were physical, this one was spiritual and eternal. Now, what's interesting is you'll notice about these is that each level goes higher up in the hierarchy ladder. The judgment was handled by local municipalities. The council was issues of national uh, consequence, but hellfire itself were issues that God himself would indeed judge. Words reveal the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's on the inside comes out. When we speak with irritability, when we speak with anger, it means that we have anger inside. Something has led us to that. And Jesus talks about a couple words that are used here. And the first one is raka. Now, you shouldn't go around saying raka to somebody because raka means empty-headed, fool, or a useless person. Now, you might be thinking of someone that might fit that description, but even so, you might have, like, some children in your family that are growing up, you're like, that kid's a raka. But don't think of them that way, okay? But that's what that means. And so... Uh, when we use the word fool, it's pretty clear what's meant by that. But this statement refers to outbursts of anger on the part of the individual. Christians are warned to watch their language and to not use colorful language in outbursts of anger, even when you are joking. But in this passage, Jesus is speaking to a larger problem. This is not just about calling someone a name because you're angry, but rather about the attitude behind the intent. You ever notice that there are people that are just so on edge all the time that you're afraid to say anything to them? Like you walk on eggshells around them because you just know that they would take the slightest thing that you say and turn it into either an offense or an attack against them, and they'll just fly off the handle at you. It's like, can you hand me the butter? What, you don't think that I can give you the butter? You know? (laughs) Or, can you go get milk out of the fridge? Why don't you get the milk out of the fridge? It's like, whoa, whoa. We weren't going there. But you see how one person's response to it just amped up the discussion to a confrontation. We were having a conversation, and now we're having a confrontation because someone's on edge And someone just kind of like always looking like they're about ready to go off on someone. So this is not just about name-calling. 
but instead about judging somebody, saying that a person is worthless or that they'll never amount to anything or speaking ill of them when you're around others. We may easily find ourselves doing this when we can't understand why a person does what they do. We all know people that frustrate us. We all know people that are just like, well, why are they doing that again? And so there's times where we're just like, well, that person's just an idiot. That person, they're just a complete fool. There's nothing in their head. And then we're not sometimes content with just saying that. We kind of expound upon why that might be when we really don't know. And sometimes it's none of our business. And sometimes we'd be better suited to just not say anything about the situation. We're frustrated with it, but can we remove the epithets out of it? Can we remove uh, the connotation and the negativity and what we're saying about them and their character or their level of intelligence or their socioeconomic status? Whatever the case might be, let's not try and insert those things into it, but just recognize it for what it is. We speak out of anger and frustration about people who give us problems. But let's look at the third judgment that Jesus mentions. He says, but whoever says you fool will be in danger of hellfire. Now the Greek word here is Gehenna, which is used to refer to a place near Jerusalem uh, called the Valley of Ben-Henna. Now this is a place near the city that used to be a place of idolatry. This is a place where they set up uh, altar sacrifices to the god Molech. Now, the god Molech was a detestable idol of the Canaanites, which required child sacrifice. It was a god of fertility. It was a god that would bless their crops. And one of the things that was required to offer to Molech was a live infant child to be burned in the fire. Horrible. And so when Israel finally got away from that practice, they desecrated all the altars in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And to make sure there was never used for idolatry again, one of the things that they made it into is they made it into a latrine and a garbage dump. So whenever people needed to get rid of their trash, like you would go to the transfer station and drop off your trash. So they would bring their trash to the valley of Ben-Hinnom. They'd dump their trash there. And then to make sure to take care of the amount of trash that was present in that place is they would light it on fire. There was no safety burns back then. I don't think there was a, a season like you could burn from January to May 1st and you could get a permit burn. But that was burnt on the regular because there was so much garbage. And a lot of this garbage was organic garbage. And so the garbage that was there, it says that the fires of the Valley of Ben-Hinnom burned day and night. And that the worm there would, would, would consume and maggots would be present in there. And Jesus uses this illustration of Gehenna in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, not just here but in another passage of Scripture in Mark, to describe what hell would be like. So in case anybody's ever wondering, like, hell is not like the rock and roll songs that you hear about. That when you go to hell, it's going to be a party and all the bad people that you did bad things with are going to hang out and the devil's going to pop open a cold one and you're all going to kind of sit around and share stories. That is not what hell is like. Hell is isolation. 
Hell is where the fire never ends. Hell is where the worm never dies. It's like dying without dying. And that's a horrible thing to think about. It's so, it's, when you think about this, it's like the Valley of Ben-Hinnom is a place where your trash was meant to be burnt. So when it comes to the things that you've been through in life, can I encourage you to do something? Burn your trash. Don't hold on to it. You've been through some things. You've been through some stuff. Don't hold on to it. It'd be just as ridiculous as one of those shows that you see on Discovery and A&E where they talk about hoarders, and you go into the person's house, and they have old newspapers, and they have trash from months ago, and they have things that they won't throw out. Even though it's broken, they're like, I could fix that. No, you can't. You never will. But it's sitting up there and piling up there. And you're saying, well, what, why, are you, why have you not gotten rid of this? It's like, because it's mine. And I'm holding on to it. And no one can take it from me. And that's how we sometimes treat the things that we've been through. That we look at the things that we've been through as only being ours. And we're reluctant to get rid of it. Because if we get rid of it and let go of it, that means that somebody got away with it. I got news for you. They got away with it anyway. Right? Are they living under a sense of condemnation and guilt? Are they living with regret for the things that they've done to you? Probably not. So you're living their prison sentence by holding on to it. So what do you need to do? You need to bring it to the valley, throw it in there, and let it burn. Get rid of the past. Don't hold on to it anymore. Now, why does Jesus make such a bold statement about anger? He is essentially equating holding on to anger, malice, and murder in your heart as being in danger of going to hell. Does this mean if you call someone empty-headed or fool that you're going to hell? I would hope not, because some of us are not going to make it, especially those of us who have a little bit of a sarcastic edge to us. We are definitely not going to make it. But it's not what the word, the word you say, it's the intent and the heart behind it. This has to do with the unresolved anger in our hearts. Anger that responds with a judgmental attitude towards people. When we have a judgmental attitude towards people or notoriously short fuse, that means we have anger in our hearts. Anger that shows impatience towards people and thinks that you're better than them. Sometimes the reason why we're ang- people get angry is because they're like, well, I'm better than you. You should be doing this quicker. Why aren't you doing this right now? And there's an air of superiority that goes along with that. Anger stems from unforgiveness of past offenses. That kind of anger is not a Christ-like attitude. If you think about Jesus, Jesus sometimes got angry. But Jesus didn't go around angry. Do you notice that? And there was certainly no end of disrespect towards Jesus. People were disrespecting him on a regular basis. They were questioning his teaching. They didn't recognize who he was. But did Jesus go around walking around on edge? Was, did the disciples have to say, I'm not going to tell him, you tell him. Like, there was not that demeanor about Jesus. Jesus was... Uh, meek and gentle and humble of heart. That was the kind of person that Jesus was. And so when we are quick 
with our anger and short with our fuses. It's not a Christ-like attitude. Matthew 6.15, I think the other reason why Jesus says when you say these sort of things, you're in danger of hellfire has not to do with the fact that you say bad things or you're judgmental or that you just say words that are not kind. It's not about that. It's about the fact that we might harbor anger and unforgiveness towards people. Because in Matthew 6.15, Jesus made it very clear that if we don't forgive others, that God, our Heavenly Father, will not forgive us. And that's a hard lesson for us to learn. But it is something that he made clear as a statement. So God's forgiveness is present at salvation. He is able to forgive us of our sins. But if we choose not to forgive someone else, we are saying that the grace and mercy that we've received, we're not willing to extend it to other people. In spite of the fact that we've done terrible things. So because we need forgiveness, we choose to forgive. It's not that I feel like forgiving people. There are people that when I think about what they've done to me, still make me angry. And maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe you recognize it too, that there's things that you think about. They say, well, if I let this go, then the person gets away with it. Forgiveness is not justice. Forgiveness is not uh, letting it, making sure the situation was okay. Forgiveness is not letting that person get away with it. Forgiveness is saying, I'm choosing not to let my life be guided or bound by those things anymore. Amen? I don't know about you. I don't want to live like that because that's an angry, bitter place. Romans 12, 17 through 19 even tells us, listen, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't repay evil for evil, but rather re leave room for God's wrath. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So when we forgive and we say, okay, well, if I forgive, they're getting away with it, understand they still have to answer to God. And understand that you as a child of God are protected by God and watched over by Him. So when people do things to you, eventually God will take care of those people that did things to you. He will avenge you. So you don't have to take matters into your own hands. When we take matters into our own hands, the Lord's like, okay, you've got this. I'm stepping back here. When we leave it in God's hands, He takes care of the situation. A righteous person doesn't look for revenge. Anger does not produce a righteous life. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, when things happen to you, and uh, when you think something is happening, don't be quick to judge people with your words. Let your listening outpace your speaking. Man, we could use some help with this. Let your listening outpace your speaking. Think carefully about your words be before you say them. Ask yourself, is the thing that I'm about to say, would this be pleasing to God? We can be very good about worship. We can be very, very good about attending church. We can be very good about serving. But 
are the things that are coming out of our mouths pleasing to God? And I have to admit, there's times where in my frustrations, I haven't always been kind. I haven't always thought good of people. And I could do a better job of that. Being bold and outspoken is a good quality to have, especially when talking about Jesus. But it often means that you shoot first and ask questions later, speaking without thinking. Challenge yourself to be careful with your words. Nothing speaks more to your righteousness than your speech. Why? It's because it's the first impression that people will have of you. So if you are a Christian and you want to be known as a Christian, your conversations with people will reveal the kind of person that you are. So if you are in your workplace and you've been there for a while and then one day decide to share your faith with somebody and they said, I never knew you were a Christian. That's really not a good thing, by the way. <laughs> if they say, oh, I never knew you were a Christian. So basically, either I've been flying under the radar or I've been speaking in such a way that people have no idea that I serve so our speech has an impression. We can't allow anger to have a foothold in our life. Anger, you can be angry. Like, Great, I'm going to be angry. <laughs> you can be angry, but what you do with that anger is the important part of this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 32 say this. And it gives us this counsel. In your anger, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down in your, while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is... Uh, excuse me, lost my point. Don't let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, and get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Now, anger happens. And there are things that make us angry. It's a natural re reaction than when we are upset or frustrated to get angry by something we see or hear. But what we do with it is up to us. In our anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on, on anger while it is still unresolved or it will grow. So if you're angry with somebody, you say, well, I'll, I'll address it tomorrow. And that's a month, two months, three months at that point, anger and bitterness has grown so much that you don't even remember why you're angry at them. You just know that you are. And the distance has become harder to try and breach that distance or to bridge that gap because you've let it go on for so long. When we are angry, take that anger and do something else with it. You know, work out. Go for a walk. Do something else with the anger you have. Don't punch a wall, punch a punching bag. Do something else with the anger that you have instead of taking it out on creative ways to do harm to somebody else. Remember, we know that 
we should not commit murder. But it doesn't mean that at times you haven't thought about that person being in pain, discomfort, or shame. Or have rehearsed in your mind the things that you would say to them when you see them, and then when you see them, you give them the cold shoulder. And then later you beat yourself up because like, I had the moment there. If I, had a, if I had seen them a little bit earlier, I would have given them a piece of my mind. And the truth is, you weren't, and you didn't, and you weren't going to, but we play out these scenarios in our head about what we would do if given the opportunity. We should not entertain those kinds of fantasies. Why? Because anger and resentment and bitterness creates dissension and division. And it says that that's how the devil gets a foothold in your life and in your church. So look at it this way. Say you were going to the door and uh, your doorbell rings and someone comes to the door and they trying to sell you something. And you in your politest way possible say, you know, I am not interested in what you're selling today. And you say, good day and close the door. Well, what if the person just rams their foot in there so you can't close the door? Well, some of you might try and close the door a little harder on that foot. I don't know. Or some of you might push them out the door and close the door. But it would be shocking to say the least. Usually that doesn't happen too much these days. But we understand that, like, when we allow anger into our life, when we allow bitterness and rage and malice to fester in our life, what we're doing is we're giving the devil an open door into our lives and into our church. And if we don't want to do that, the best thing that we can do is learn to forgive, learn to move on, and learn to resolve situations. Resolve conflict, it says in the way. Verses 23 onward, if we go back to 23 through 26. You know, there's two important relationships in life. There's a vertical relationship that we have with God. That's between us and our Heavenly Father, us and Jesus, us and the Holy Spirit. And that we, many Christians do very well on loving God and talking to him and walking with him. But the area that most Christians stumble with is the horizontal relationship between one and the other, between us and our fellow man. That's the one we struggle with. We love the people we like, obviously. But Jesus said if you do that, you're no different than a non-Christian and a non-believer. But if you love your enemy, Pray for those who mistreat you. And that's what you should be doing. Now, I didn't say that was going to be easy. And Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. But it is something that he wants us to do. Why? Because anger and bitterness and resentment allows a foothold into our hearts and our lives, allows the devil to create wedges in family, in relationships, in, his, in the church that God has set apart for us. When we choose to resolve conflict, then the devil doesn't have a foothold. Conflict and anger gets in the way of your worship. Let's look at the verses 23 onwards. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what is he saying? Okay, if you understand temple worship at that time, you brought your sacrifice before the Lord, according with, to the sins that you've done, 
or an offering for the things that you want to thank God for. It was a sign of fidelity. It was a sign of worship. It was a sign of just uh, reliance upon God. And he says if you get there and you offer it and you recognize that you're still holding on to something that someone's done to you, he says that that offering won't necessarily be received because anger, bitterness, resentment, and sin gets in the way of our worship. You ever come to church angry? I know you have. I know my kids have sometimes because <laughs> we're trying to get out of the house on time and sometimes it's a little tense. But you ever try and worship when you're angry? You just can't. You can't lift your hands when you're like, <clears throat> and you're upset about something or someone. So the question is, how long do you let that go on for and how long are you willing to miss out on worship and God's presence and God's mercy and His grace at work within your life just because you are having trouble with letting go of the anger you feel. We need to be able to let it go. Now he says, go if, if you realize that there is a, your brother has something against you. In other words, there's something at work that maybe you're responsible for. Or maybe that they've done something and you're holding on to. He says, don't even offer your, your worship. Go and make it right with that person. And then come back and worship the Lord. Now, please understand that, that not every fence can be mended. Not every situation can be reconciled. Like, it wouldn't be right for you to go. And if you've been divorced, to show up at your ex's house and say... You know, I'm really sorry for everything. Can we work things out? And they've already remarried. That wouldn't be the kind of thing that God's talking about here. Or if someone's done you harm, so like you, maybe you had some issues with your parents growing up. Maybe you had something falling out with your father, and your father since passed on. That relationship is gone and passed. You can't do anything about what happened there, but you can do everything about what happened in your heart. And you can choose to forgive and let go of it and to move on. Forgiveness is important so that it doesn't get in the way of our worship. Verse 25 says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge will hand you to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid every last penny. Now what Jesus is speaking of here is that back in Jesus' day, and even up until like the 1800s, if you were a person that had financial debts that you did not pay, you would go what's called, what's called a debtor's prison. And you'd be thrown in a debtor's prison. There was no bankruptcy back then, okay? So he's saying before it gets to that point, if someone is suing you, Take a walk with that person and try and come to a resolution before you stand before a judge. Before you have to uh, have your court case heard. Try and resolve things. In fact, the scriptures even tell us too, in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, Paul addressing the Corinthian church, he's saying, you know, believers shouldn't even be suing each other. He says, don't you have a wise person in your own church? that can help mediate these situations, why do you have to bring it to a pagan court to resolve it? So like you, as a brother in Christ, should not be suing another member of this church. You should be calling a wise Christian brother or sister 
to mediate or the leadership or the eldership of the church to help work that situation out. Notice the encouragement is to resolve issues before you see the judge. As Christians, we will one day stand, not before a municipal judge, but we will one day stand before God, our judge, the great judge over all mankind. And we should be sure that we have no malice, ill intent, or anything else that gets in the way of our worship of him. Now, getting back to the idea of the debtor's prison. Like, there was no bankruptcy back then. Back then, like, if you, you couldn't just declare bankruptcy. You go, oh, but I don't got the money. I guess I'm going to have to get a fresh start. And you get a credit score now, and you can go back and make more bad financial decisions like we do in today's world. Back then, you were locked up. Sometimes everything that you had was sold. Back in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for your family to be sold into slavery. Your wife, your wife and your children were sold into slavery to pay off your debts. So to be in debt to someone was a terrible thing. Can I tell you today that anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness is a prison of its own kind. It keeps you captive. It makes you a prisoner. It tortures the soul, and it causes its captives to see the anger. Can I encourage you today to choose to be free? To be free from anger and to be free from malice and rage and resentment, only you can let yourself out of that prison. It's like being in a prison with the door closed and the key on the outside of it. You don't realize that you can let yourself out, but you can. Forgive because God has forgiven you. Can I just share some personal experience with you? That anger can be released through trauma and triggers. And there are times when you are reminded of something that someone did that can really cause all those emotions of anger to stir up again. And I remember there's a time in, in our lives where, like, this was just a couple of years ago, and my wife and I were talking about something and my wife reminded me about a situation that happened in one of our very first ministry experiences. It was a bad situation. Um, we were promised a certain salary when we came in, and then when we arrived, it was $5,000 less. That was a little bit okay. And when we, when we started ministry there, uh, you know, and they paid for our moving expenses in our first month's rent. And then later on, you know, the situation was a bad situation. The church had been through a nasty split. And every church, every time that church had problems, if they couldn't get to the pastor, they got to the youth pastor. Like nobody lasted there. Nobody told me that, of course. So we get let go from that situation. And on the way out the door, we're asked, oh, by the way, can you give us back the first month's rent that we gave you? on the way out the door. Now, I had forgotten about that. I had forgiven and moved on, okay? I said, all right, that's the past. That happens. In fact, actually, if you talk to people in ministry, you'll find the situation a lot more common than you think. Okay. So my wife reminded me, remember they did that? And I said, they did what? They, they did what? I said, I forgot about that. I can't believe that they did that. I am so mad that they did that. And I picked up the phone. 
to call that person and to give them a piece of my mind. And of course, my wife talked me out of that because, you know, when you're younger and in ministry, you think that things go a certain way. But now as a senior pastor, I know what was told me was not true because I'm on the other side of it now and I know how it works. Lord, help. And so my wife said, don't do that. I said, okay. I said, talk to Papa. Talk to Pastor Wayne. I said, all right. So I talked to my, my good friend, Pastor Wayne, who was a spiritual father figure in my life, and I talked to him. And I told him I was mad. I told him I was upset. I told him what I thought I needed to do. And he says to me, is that it? I'm like, yeah. I'd say, what's the problem? He's like, he's like, really? I'm like, okay, yeah. It's like, well, how long ago was that? It was like 14 years ago. <laughs> and he goes, really, son? The devil had to go back 14 years ago to find something to trigger you and to cause you to get mad and to cause you to stumble like that. He said, let it go. Let it go. And he was right. I needed to move on. I needed to move forward. I needed to forgive and to keep on forgiving. But what if it's someone in your own family? What if someone in your own family's done something and you have to see them every single day? Or at family reunions. Sometimes things happen within your family and it's hard to forgive and to move on from them. You say, well, if I forgive, then that means what they did was okay. No, it doesn't. It just means that you are choosing not to carry that on. And there are some times you need to create boundaries in your life to protect you from people within your family who are like that. You can forgive and choose to be safe. You can forgive and choose to remove yourself from situations. You can forgive and choose to not put you or your family members in a place where they could be harmed. Let me be absolutely clear on that. Forgiveness is not consent. Forgiveness is not saying what they did was okay. Forgiveness is simply saying, I'm better than that, and I'm not going to let it guide and direct my life. I'm choosing to be different. There are times where we get angry. Can I tell you even honestly that sometimes when it comes to the people of God, sometimes Christians can be awful. Some of the things that they say behind your back, and sometimes the things that they say to the others... Sometimes you'll share your heart with somebody about things that you're going through and the person's not wise and discerning enough to know I shouldn't share that with another brother or sister in Christ. Part of the reason why people in the church don't share with each other because they're not entirely sure that you're going to keep confidentialities. So somehow someone else hears about what you said to them. Why is that? How is that? It's because someone shared it. And maybe they shouldn't have. Can I tell you, too, as a pastor, too, we're not immune to being hurt or to being angry or to being resentful. Sometimes when people leave and they don't leave in the best way, it's hurtful. Sometimes when people, you've walked people through the hardest moments of their life and been by their bedside as you, they've gone through surgery or family trauma or breakups of some kind you walk them through the darkest seasons of their life and they leave without even saying goodbye don't think that that doesn't hurt us we feel that don't think that when someone leaves and badmouths the church and we take the high road 
that doesn't still bother us and it doesn't still hurt. There are times, I'll admit, in my life I've become angry. There's times I've been frustrated. There's times I've been and said things about people that I'm not particularly proud of. I remember speaking to my kids. I said, I'm going to talk about something tomorrow that there are times I've been guilty of myself. Things that I've said, like maybe I was critical of someone. I said, I need you to forgive me for that and understand that, you know, that I need this message too today. My son, I love what he says. Like, well, you know, maybe tomorrow's message will inspire you to do better. (laughs) I said, all right, that's true. And he was right. He's absolutely right. But can I be honest when I say, like, to think that we are, that your pastor is immune from being angry or to letting anger get the better of him would be silly to say. And I know that you deal with it too. So we all need this message. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need to work through our anger and learn to release and to forgive and to keep forgiving. This morning as we wrap this up, maybe you're angry at someone who's hurt you. Maybe you're angry at someone. You know, somebody hurt me and I can't quite let go of that. And if I let go of that, and they've gotten away with it. Sometimes you're angry at someone. But other times we're just angry with ourselves. We've made some mistakes, things that you wish you could have back and do over again but can't. And that decision changed your life for the worse and it hasn't quite been the same. So sometimes our anger is that we're, we're so mad at ourselves because of what happened and the, the way we messed up that we just can't move on. Sometimes we're mad at God. Maybe you were born with a disability or deficiency. Maybe you, you had opportunities and privileges. You didn't have the opportunities and privileges that others had. Maybe your life was filled with tragedy or a chronic illness. And maybe you blame God for that. And you might think God hates you. Can I tell you today, God doesn't hate you. He loves you. Two things will help you out greatly. Number one, confess your feelings to God and ask him to forgive you and help you. And number two, confess your feelings to a close Christian friend who can help you. Say, well, I have friends and I talk to them. Are they Christian? No. Well, a non-Christian friend is going to give you a worldly idea about how you should deal with a friend that's hurt you. A Christian friend will say, like my friend Pastor Wayne says, really, son? You're going to hold on to that? Sometimes you need to hear those hard words. Sometimes you need somebody to say, you know what? I hear you. I know you've been hurt. I know you've gone through some awful things, but can you let it go and choose to forgive because no relationship's more important than your relationship with God right now. As our worship team comes to the front, as we get ready to close this service, I can't help but wondering, too, if maybe you're dealing with and experiencing a little bit of what I've been talking about in your own life. Are you in a place where you are having trouble to forgive? Are you angry like all the time? And despite 
how life is going. Life can be going pretty good at times. You're just kind of on edge. Can I tell you today that, you know, if you're feeling that, it's because there's some things that are still on the inside of your heart that God wants to get out. And allowing God to take those things and remove them. The Holy Spirit is here and he's able to kind of just put his finger on that exact thing that you're going through and that why you feel the way you do. And sometimes it's the reason why you have roadblocks in your life. You're like, why can't I get past this certain point in my life? And the answer is, is because you haven't dealt with those things. You haven't dealt with those feelings. But God wants you to let them go today. He wants to say, God, I, I ask that you would forgive me for the things that I've done, things that I've said, things that I've thought. I've never tried to kill somebody, but there's been times I've just wanted the worst things for people in my heart. And Lord, I repent of that today. I repent of my words. I repent of my thoughts that weren't pleasing to you. And I believe that God can not only forgive, but he can heal those hurts so that you can move forward in your struggling and fighting within yourself and with others. There's nothing better than coming to church and feeling like you've had a burden lifted. But can I tell you that there are times when you've been hurt and you've been angered that it's easy for that to come back up. And you need to continually give that to the Lord each day. We can just bow our heads for this moment and close our eyes say, I want to ask you this question. This, there's someone right now that you're kind of angry with and that you've been holding on to things for. And it's just frustrating and it angers you on the inside and that each day just feels like it's, you're just struggling to keep you know, positive attitude. And this morning you say, Pastor, I'm just dealing with there's so much anger inside, and I just want to, I want to let it go. I want to give it to God today, and I want to be set free. I just wanted today, with no one else looking around, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's where I'm at. That's what I'm dealing with right now. I'm dealing with some unresolved things in my heart, and I want to let them go today. Just lift a hand. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your transparency between the Lord moment and let's pray so father we just pray today god we ask for your forgiveness god we're sorry for the things that we've done lord god the times we've messed up lord the times we've been so frustrated with ourselves why did we do that why did we do it differently why didn't it go a different way there's a lot of regret there lord i just pray that they would just you would just free them and set them free from regret today. Set them free from the past. Help them to just let it go and know that you've forgiven them and to be able to forgive themselves because, God, you're able to. Lord, I pray for those that are still mad at someone who's done awful things to them or said awful things to them. Lord, God, I pray that you would help them to forgive that person, to let go what they've done, 
to forgive them for the wrongs that have been done to them. And Lord, choose to be free. Lord, forgive us for the times we've been mad at you, Lord. We say, well, why, why did that person get an opportunity and I didn't? Why is that person's life blessed and mine isn't? Why is my health not good and theirs is? And Lord, we've, we've shaken our fist at anger at you, Lord God, and we shouldn't have done that. So forgive us today, Lord God, for having that wrong perspective towards you, and we just repent. We repent of that moment we give it to you. We repent of every wicked thought and every ill intent that we've had towards others. Every word that's been spoken in anger, every curse that's been rendered towards a person's name, every time that we thought negative things about that person or believed that they would never amount to anything, God, forgive us and set us free this morning. We pray, Lord God, set us free from this prison that's been built for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.